Well, thanks for having me up. Um, I feel like I was telling some people before the service, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits because Aaron and I stay in touch and it always seems like there's something going on on a Sunday morning that my wife and I are involved in. So we haven't been up to be a part of your community, but um, really have enjoyed the last, I don't know, maybe hour or so that I've been up here. I'm just getting to know you a little bit. Um, but again, it just feels kind of like we're kindred spirits already anyway. So, um, and it's super awesome to be up here on family Sunday to have everybody in the room. Um, and if, if, if kids are loud, it's okay. My kid will be loud. I guarantee you. Probably my kid will be louder than all of your kids, so it'll be okay. Um, uh, Tommy's in the back. My parents um, are joining me this morning. Um, my wife and other son are coming back from Colorado. Um, but yeah, I'm just super glad to be up here um, and be a part of your community. Um, on that note, as part of being a part of a community, I want to do something here at the beginning um, that could be, well, let's, let's not make it super awkward, but it could potentially be. Uh, I'll just preface it with that, but let's try to do it um, in as communal of a way as possible. Take a second and actually look around. Like, I don't mean like figuratively look around. I don't mean like, like uh, metaphorically. I mean like actually look. And I'm going to stop talking here in a second so you have like a silent space to look around and catch somebody's eye, somebody not in your family. Um, you know, I mean, don't like hold their gaze because that's where, that's where the awkwardness is going to come in. But like just catch somebody's eye long enough that like you made that connection beyond just like you saw them get coffee. So I'm going to stop and just look for a second. All right, so here's the deal. I wanted to do that right at the beginning because I wanted you to have in your mind a clear picture right away of the people that are in the room. Because the people in the room, this is, this is crazy to me, this is God's plan A. Like, this is, this is it. Like, this is the plan. This is his body these are his, I mean, like, we are his hands and feet, not like some other church, like this, like, we are his hands and feet. And when you look around the room, I guess a question that I want us to ponder, like, as you were looking around the room, like, what do you believe about the people in the room? Like, you looked around, and hopefully you caught somebody's eye, and it's an important question to ask, like, what do I think about that person? Like, what do I believe they are, who they are? What is their role in the body? Do, I mean, like, do I even see them as part of the body? Like, when you look around the room, do you see brothers and sisters? Like, family members. I mean, you probably have family here, and so as you look around the room, you might have seen, oh, yeah, this actually is part of my blood family. Like, these are my children. This is my wife. This is my brother or sister. Like, like you have, but like, do you see them as spiritual family, like actual blood, like you share a common spirit, like you share blood with your family, like you share something with them? Do you see them as fellow soldiers? Like, there's so many war and battle metaphors in scripture like we are at war not against flesh and blood but against the principalities and powers of darkness like do you see the people in the room as fellow soldiers i mean we're celebrating memorial day this weekend and so that that i haven't served so i'm kind of on the outside looking in but like that wartime bond it's tight it's really tight like do you see the people in the room like that do you feel like you're in battle together do you see the people in the room as part of a body that they have things that you don't? Like, you have skills and abilities, you have a contribution to the body, and sometimes people who are serving a lot and have a lot of things to offer the body, sometimes they forget that they don't have it all. And they need other parts of the body to give and contribute in ways that they don't have. Like, do you see that in other people? And those aren't meant to be rhetorical questions. Those are meant to like really kind of challenge us. Because as we turn to Romans 14 and 15, the way you see the other members of the body, the way you believe, like what you really, really think about them, not like not what you would write down on paper, like, okay, this dude came up from Cedar Rapids and asked me to look around and asked me to say what I think about. Like, here's what I'm going to say. Like, really believe. Because the way you believe the way you think about the people in this room are going to drive not only the way you treat them and speak to them when you're here on Sunday morning, but it's going to drive and dictate what you're willing to sacrifice for them. 
Because the way you think about someone, the, you know, what you believe about them and their, and their role in the community is going to drive what you're willing to give up and drive what you're willing to lay down for their good. And those are not easy questions. They're not easy questions. Because there's so many things pulling us apart and separating us. There's so many things. It's easy to come to a place like Riverwood or New Covenant where my wife and I are involved. It's easy to come and just be. We live in a very individualistic, very me-centered, very my-experience-centered. You can come and just get an experience. There's so many things that make it difficult to really be a part of this. And those outward-looking questions of what do I think, what do I believe, that's, it's got to be where we start this morning. Because as we look at Romans 14 and 15 and kind of the continuation of your study of Romans, like you've got to check yourself at the door of what you really think about this room and the church with a capital C, the other people who aren't in this room, believers down in Cedar Rapids, believers in Iowa City, believers in Waterloo. Like we've got to check ourselves and really see what do we think about the body because Paul's going to ask us to lay stuff down. <laughs> I mean, God, through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, is asking us to lay stuff down for people in this room, and that's not easy. And so what we think about the people in the room is going to drive what we're willing to lay down. So as we turn our attention to Romans um, 14 and 15, I'm going to start in prayer. Um, we've prayed a lot this morning, and I'm super thankful for that. And I'm going to pray again because I like it um, and need it. So um, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you that you have sought us out. And as we're going to read in Romans 15, you have accepted us. You've accepted us not on our merits, because we're very aware that we don't have a whole lot. God, you have accepted us not on our merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, on his death, burial, and resurrection, and then imparted to us through faith. God, you have accepted us not from a distance, not at arm's length, but intimately. You have brought us close to you through Jesus. And God, I just want to ask that you would work in our hearts, do a hard work, do a hard work in us, Father, to accept those around us in the same way. To be willing to lay down, even when it's well, something we'd like and are permitted to do, be willing to lay down for our brothers and sisters. Ultimately for your glory, but also for their flourishing. So, Father, we give you this time this morning. We just ask that you would give us a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. God, that you would help us to be clued in and dialed in to your words through Scripture. Father, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so as we, as we kind of dig into 15, which is the topic of today, I just want to go back um, and actually, you know what? Let's read 15 together. I think that's a good idea right away. I was going to dig into 14, kind of recap. I just... I can't wait to read scripture, <laughs> so let's just read it together, and then we'll go back and talk. Um, praying and reading scripture, you could just have a whole church service just on that, and that'd be fine. You wouldn't have to have anybody get up here and share any thoughts. Um, let's read Romans 15 together. Um, Aaron mentioned you guys read out of the ESV sometimes, and sometimes out of the New Living. I'm kind of stuck on the old NIV. Um, it's what I cut my teeth on, and so it's, it's, it's hard for me to move on from that. Um, so I'm going to read 15, um, 1 through 13 from the old NIV. Um, it should read similar-ish to the ESV. Let's read together. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who have insulted you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. 
Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we read chapters 14, you really can't talk about 14 without having a firm grasp of 15. Or sorry, as we read 15, you can't talk about it without a firm grasp of 14 because it's really, there, there, there really shouldn't be a chapter division. I mean, we put chapter divisions in the Bible, right? Like this was a letter, a continuous letter written by Paul. And 15 is just a continuation of the theme in 14. And we have this theme of the weak and the strong. And we have this kind of topic of discussion between the weak and the strong of these disputable matters. And we should say from the beginning, this is really important from the outset, that we're not talking about issues of salvation. Like, we're not. There was, there was, there was kind of this issue, uh, possibly a divisive issue in the church in Rome, but this was not an issue of salvation. Otherwise, Paul would have been point-blank blunt. I mean, he's obviously not scared of being blunt, right? Like, if you read the letter to the Galatians, like, he calls them fools for confusing works and salvation. He's obviously not scared of being blunt. So if this was an issue of salvation, he would have made it very clear, I'm concerned that you are misinterpreting Scripture and you're blending faith and works. This wasn't an issue of salvation. This was an issue of how the church was going to navigate these disputable issues or issues of discussion and maintain unity. So as we're talking about these things today and you think, well, I'm in this camp and they're in this camp, there really aren't camps. We're a family and a team. And this is not, they're in the right, we're in the wrong. You've clearly, because he does, it's so interesting. In 14 and 15, Paul doesn't try to convince either group to change. He's not asking the weak to think like the strong. He's not asking the strong to think like the weak. He's actually saying, look, whatever you think about these things, keep them to yourself because they're potentially dividing you. It is, it, it's so interesting. We think of the words weak and we think of the word strong as like, well, this camp is obviously better. And there I go using the word camp again, because we're so used to having compartmentalized views of subjects. and We want to divide in this kind of the world we live in. But like, we're so used to thinking of the words weak and strong as creating these groups within the church. Well, you're superior and you're inferior because you have a strong view. But we, he actually affirms both groups. He affirms both groups. He says both groups, both views of these disputable matters, if you're doing it in faith as unto the Lord, it's pleasing to him. It's glorifying to him. He's not asking either group to change. And so we shouldn't ask either group to change. He doesn't, he doesn't set out to elevate one view or the other. He's saying in these disputable matters, there is something greater at stake. And so as we read 15 and it starts off, you who are strong, the very first question I came to is who is that, right? Like who is the strong and how do I get into that group? That's not the point. The point is that in this, as in 14, because we're just kind of recapping 14 right before we look at 15, that in all of this, we would keep our eyes on the family, that we would keep our eyes on each other the people in this room that when you, I wanted you to have a picture in your head of people in the room. Hopefully you caught somebody's eye. And as we talk about this group, maybe they're weak and maybe they're strong. And the truth is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because there is something that binds us together that so supersedes those divisions, those camps that we put ourselves into. And I say, you know, camps and because there, there really shouldn't be. We create those. And so as we turn our attention uh, to chapter 15, we have to keep this kind of, as I read 14, I, I, I kind of came to rest on this main idea. And as we turn our attention to 15, I want to kind of settle on this main idea because I think it provides kind of a benchmark and kind of a guidepost for us. And that is this. There has to be a rock-solid refusal to harm another sibling. As we read 14, I, I hope we read 
a negative exhortation. The negative being refuse to do something. There has to be a refusal to harm another sibling. I just love the way that Paul says it um, in verse 20, 14, 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. I mean, when you think about your own life, like I just, I just love the quick kind of recap of your kind of your history and your marriage story, kind of the last 18 years. And just, you look back and you think, gosh, God's done such a good work in our lives. You know, praise the Lord. Do you understand that like he's done that in everybody's lives? Like we all have that. We are a work of God. How dare we harm the work of God in someone else's lives for something as petty and as trivial as a disputable matter, not even an issue of salvation? How dare we harm another sibling? I hope that we read 14 and we come away with a negative exhortation that we would refuse to harm another sibling. And sometimes phrasing things from the negative is important. We have a kind of a tendency in our culture to phrase things from the positive because we don't like to think about the negative. It kind of puts us down. We always like to put things in a positive movement-oriented direction, and that's good. I think we should. But sometimes the negative is important. There has to be a refusal, and you have to plant that flag in the ground that I refuse to harm another sibling, period. If I feel like there's a chance that this would do harm, that refusal keeps me, that, that, that flag in the ground keeps me from going down that road. I'm one of um, uh, four kids. My parents are up here, and um, when, I, <laughs> when I made the arrangements for them to come up with me, um, I thought about asking them for some sibling stories, but then I decided I don't really want to go there. I don't really want to hear more, more sibling stories from me and my siblings, but I know we bickered quite a bit. Um, I know that at times I had a fabulous growing up experience, but I know that, that at times um, there, was, there was a fair amount of sibling <laughs> clashing, um, and I remember very clearly being told I'm the, I'm, I'm the oldest, by the way, so I was like never in the wrong. Um, I was always the victim of annoying little kids, always. Um, and I remember being told often, you need to just walk away. You need to just walk away. Like you have two legs. You need to walk away from this situation. And it had nothing to do with moving towards my sibling in love. It had nothing to do with mending differing opinions. It had nothing to do with sharing and really crawling into their space and saying, you know, how can I love you? And so it had everything to do with refusing to do harm. And, and I now I am the parent of two children. And so I know that that's not the ultimate goal, right? Like tolerance and avoidance of harm is not the ultimate goal, but sometimes that's the play. Sometimes that's the play because refusal to do harm creates boundaries and it creates a framework, but we don't stop there. Like now that I have two children of my own, my goal for them is not that they would kind of like coexist in like non-colliding orbital spaces. Like just don't, like like don't have a conflict. I just, I want them to be close, but I also know that as a family, sometimes you have to protect And so I hope that as we read 14, and as you looked at 14 last week, there was a confidence and an assurance that that is a boundary, that we would refuse to do harm. And as we look at 15, we're going to move past the refusal, and we're going to move past kind of a protective guardrail of refusing to do harm, and we're going to move towards, and we're going to lean into in the mess, (laughs) and in the compromise and in the sacrifice of being a body reconciled from lots of backgrounds. We're not going to have time this morning to dig into the nuance and kind of the really rich depth of how Jesus is reconciling the Gentiles and the Jews together provides a framework and a foundation for us sacrificing for each other and kind of building bridges across these disputable matters. But if you have time and would like to study this further, I would dig into those passages that Paul references and, you know, and kind of draws, you know, it's not just about refusing to do harm. It's about actually building a new unified body. It's amazing. Like conjure up that image again of somebody's eye who you caught. God sent his son to die, be buried, and raised to life again so that that person, that very person, would be part of his family. 
And the ultimate goal is not to just refuse to do harm, uh, refuse to do harm. It's to build something beautiful. And he's doing it. And in 15, we're going to talk about how that actually looks. So in 15, um, I kind of summarize it like this, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll just give you kind of my main point. Um, I'm a math teacher, and so I know that like, if, if, if I lose somebody halfway through, I got to get them something. I got to get them something so I'm sure that they take something away. And that's just this, that we need to move past the refusal to do harm, and we need to move into building up. We refuse to do harm, and as a community, we're going to lean in even when that's awkward. We're going to lean in, and we're going to build up. So let's, let's, let's dig into 15. Uh, very first thing we read in 15 is that we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Um, and that word failings, um, we read that and we're like, Wow. Those weak people are messed up. Like, those weak people, they're just failing. And we strong people, we got to bear with all the failings of the weak. That, 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 that word failings was probably better translated weaknesses. And even weaknesses gives us such a negative connotation, like there's something fundamentally wrong with them. Those are our brothers and sisters, first of all. Paul is not bashing on a group of believers. He's drawing out that in this view of disputable matters, and for the church in Rome, it was meat, whether or not it was meat sacrificed to idols, uh, and other dietary restrictions that came along with that. I mean, obviously the Jews uh, who had become believers were very much accustomed to a expanse of dietary restrictions. And so the whole idea of eating meat and possibly meat sacrificed to idols and meat that definitely wasn't kosher would have been like mind blowing to them. Um, the issue of ceremonial days or holy days, and then uh, the issues of wine like that, that was it for their culture. And for our culture, there's going to be other things. Um, and I would actually prefer this morning to not try to come up with a list of things that would be disputable issues for us. Because I think a more powerful thing is this, that instead of trying to come up with some list, we actually just change the way we think. Because whatever disputable list we have right now, it's going to be different. It was different for the church in Rome. It's different for us in 2018 in Waverly. It's going to be different for me in Cedar Rapids just because they're, they're different communities, right? But here's the issue. The issue is that the game board is always changing. So even if we pegged the list for Waverly, we're like, I got it. Like, these are the disputable issues in Waverly. Here's how we're going to navigate them. The game board's going to change. I mean, give it a couple of years. Our world is changing so fast that if you think you've got the list of disputable issues that divide the church, it's going to change. I mean, I'm not all about making a list today, but I'll just give you one that's going to be brewing here really fast. And that's the issue of marijuana. I mean, legalized marijuana, whether or not it comes to Iowa, it's coming to the Midwest. And it will probably come to Iowa. And it's going to be a huge thing for the church to navigate. I mean, if it's not illegal anymore, what's the church's view of it? Because up until now, it's been, well, we don't even have to have the discussion because it's illegal. It's coming. Like, we're going to have that discussion as a church. And I'll tell you right now, it's not an issue of salvation. You know why? Because the only issue of salvation is the blood of Jesus, period. And so how we navigate that as a body is key. And after marijuana, who knows what it'll be? And so it's not about making a list. It's about Romans 12, having a new mind. Like, if we have a new mind as a body, we are going to navigate things with the lens of seeing it with the Holy, like through the Holy Spirit's eyes. Like, we're going to see it correctly. And it's not going to be something that we can be reactive to. Like, oh, what's the list? Let's go to our... We can't be reactive to it. It has to be a proactive renewing of our mind that we can move out into these new situations. And so I'm not going to try to come up with a list for you of like, hey, you know what? Honestly, I don't know what you're going to deal with here in Waverly. I'm not even sure what we deal with in Cedar Rapids half the time. But I can tell you this. There are things that divide the body. And Paul's saying, look, you can't let them divide you. And I think it's important to note that starting right away in verse 1, he's actually addressing the strong. That in these disputable issues, in these things that would divide the church, there's going to be people who are going to look and and. I'm going to step away from my Bible for just a second. Um, this is my kind of take on weak and strong today, right? The weak and the strong in Paul's day was very much 
meat, wine, and ceremonial days. And it was very much kind of driven by the view where the Jews had kind of a, it's most glorifying to God to observe these things. And the Gentile church, for the most part, was like, we, it's okay. You know what? We don't need to follow those things. So I'm going to step away for a second. In 2018, I think you can kind of separate weak and strong like this. If your tendency is to try to control a situation and your view of glorifying God on a disputable matter is to really kind of define it, analyze it, and control it, you're probably more in the weak category. And if your view on a situation is more like, you know what? It falls so far below an issue of salvation. My primary focus is that I am saved by grace through faith, and I'm going to try to walk humbly, but this whole situation, it doesn't make me lose sleep at night. You can fall to the left, you can fall to the right, you can fall to the liberal, you can fall to the conservative on this. It doesn't really bother me. You're probably more in the strong camp. And that's not to say one of those two things is better or worse. Like having kind of a flexible mentality for these disputable matters and having a mentality of I'm going to really, really dig into this and I'm going to come to an answer. I got to have an answer for this. Neither of those two things is wrong. You're doing it for the glory of God. But in our discussion for today, if you find yourself, you're like, you know what? I'm very much an analyzer. I'm a controller and I have to feel like I've got the right. I'm on the right side of this. You're probably more on the weak camp. And here's why I wanted to draw that out. is because in this passage, Paul is saying, you strong people who have kind of a flexible mentality, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. And here's why. Because for the strong, as it was in Paul's day, as I think it is for us today, for the strong, these issues, whatever they are for you, are more about preference and opinion. And for the weak, these are massive hang-ups. These can be really serious issues for their faith. And for the strong, as it was in Paul's day, we can sort of look at them as weaknesses and failings. Like, can't you just get over this? Like, why does this whole political discussion have you so up in arms? And for the weak, they're like, because I care about it. X, Y, and Z, this is a huge deal. And it is. And I, and I don't mean to belittle the political discussion, but like for the strong, they look at that and it doesn't ruffle them and upset them in the same way. And so we can't look at those things as a condescending or a looking down on. The strong need to look at the weak in those situations. And again, I'm saying strong and weak like, like there's something wrong with people. I'm just pulling those words from Romans 15. We need to look at the family of God and both views of those things and say, you know what? If you're in the strong camp, Paul speaks directly to you and says, look, you need to give up a little bit. Because for your brothers and sisters who get really, really worked up about this, this is not a little thing for them. It's a little thing for you, and it is not for them. It's not for them. And that's not a better or worse thing. That's not a right and wrong thing. That is not an issue of salvation. That is very much an issue of a body, a living organism, working together to build itself up. And I think sometimes we fall into one of those two kind of schools of thought with really good intentions, right? Like the weak and the strong, we have those views not because we want to get stuck on an issue, right? So like if you're in the weak camp, it's not like you're like, well, I feel like you're talking down to me and I'm in the weak camp. And really it's just that I really care about this issue. And I have an opinion, and I believe that this opinion is more glorifying to God. I believe that. And that's not wrong. Paul affirms that. He says, you're doing it unto the Lord. And it's not that we fall into these things and it's all a negative, you know, it's, it's, it's all motivated by wrong thoughts. Or it's like, oh, you're just oversensitive. No, like they're motivated by good intentions. You're motivated by good intentions. And so I just want to affirm that this morning. That as we're talking about this, it's not, it's not that... It's not that we need to think down on either camp. We are doing this for the glory of God. And as a body, we have to find a way to build each other up.
But I will say this. Nobody this morning is off the hook. Because even if you're like, I fall a little bit more into the wheat camp. Well, I guarantee you, somebody else in that group is a little weaker than you. And every single person in this room is going to be encountering other people who they are a little stronger than. Not stronger in faith, not stronger in devotion to our Lord, but stronger in that they don't get worked up on some of these issues that are non-essential. And you're going to encounter somebody who you have to be accepting of. And so nobody's off the hook this morning. So if you were hearing me kind of describe the difference between weak and strong, you're like, well, I guess I'm off the hook because I'm not in the strong category. You're not talking to me. No, all of us are on the hook. Every single one of us. Because whether you interact with somebody who's way more uptight about a, like a particular issue, you will come in contact with somebody like that. And the stakes are high. The stakes are high because we're not messing around with little things, we are dealing with the faith and the flourishing of the people next to you. Like the people in this room, the way that we navigate disputable issues will directly impact positively or negatively their flourishing. I mean, look at what he says in verse two. He says, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build them up. And he's not saying please. Like in Galatians, Paul says you shouldn't please people. He's saying you shouldn't seek their approval. This is not the same please. Paul isn't saying you should please people. Like you should try to accommodate whatever they want and try to gain their approval in some sort of a build me up kind of way. That's not this please. This is please like you are looking to serve. And so regardless of whether you're in the weak or the strong, your focus is on building others up. And the faith of a brother and sister is a precious thing. You looked around the room when uh, we first started and you got a picture in your head. I want you to get another picture in your head for a second. I want you to get a picture of somebody who lives in another state or lives in another city, but is so near and dear to your heart. And maybe they're in kind of a precarious situation. They're, they're, they're not super plugged into community, but you're just, you're longing for them and you're praying for them. Um, and I just want to get a picture in your head. And I just, I just want you to think of how, how tenderly you feel for them and how much you want somebody in their circle to reach out to them and how precious their faith is to you and how nervous you are that somebody would damage it that something would come into their lives to harm their faith. And I want you to just think about that feeling of kind of almost anxiety of like, gosh, I just hope that people protect them. And I hope that people are supportive of them and that people would let their faults and foibles kind of just be faults and foibles and not drill them on those things, but would welcome them and accept them in Christ and how just longing you are for that. I want you to realize that the person who you saw when you looked around the room this morning is that for somebody else? The person who you looked at this morning has somebody else in another city who's thinking, gosh, I just hope that their community loves them and doesn't pick on their issues because their issues are kind of issues, right? They can be kind of draining. Um, but I hope that they accept them. And we are that. That's who we are. We are the loving, accepting, moving past weaknesses, moving past divisions of weakness and strength. We are that for each other. And so that's where the refusal to do harm and the moving towards each other beyond these disputable issues is so important. Because what we believe about the other people in this room will change our view of this passage. This is the body of Christ. The stakes are high. But not only that, we, we're not only doing this for each other. We're doing this ultimately for God's glory. I mean, look in verse 6. Like, I, I love verses 5 and 6 because, I mean, if you read the whole passage, I don't know if you caught this when I was just reading through it at the very beginning. But when you read 5 and 6, it's, it's all of a sudden like, did you just like take a break and come back from getting a cup of coffee? Because 5 and 6 feel very different. Like, you're reading verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, are you not on the weak and strong anymore? Because uh, you were, and then you come back to it. Like, was this just like a little interlude? Um, five and six provide for us a quick little interjection 
of not only our motivation for bearing with one another, but they provide a picture of what it accomplishes. Five and six say this, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ. And here's verse six, so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the issue. (laughs) The glory of our God, who is the God of Jesus Christ, like the father of, like his glory is at stake here. It's not a little thing. These disputable matters, yeah, we can kind of say, oh, well, they're not issues of salvation. It matters. The glory of God is at stake in this. The way you approach a brother or a sister on these issues, God sees. And even if it's in the privacy and the secrecy of your heart and mind, how you think about the people in this room, specifically as it relates to issues that would divide us, the way you think about people glorifies or dishonors God, period. It's not a little thing. You can't write this off as, well, it's not about the deity of Jesus. It's not a core doctrine. So I guess, no, it matters. We don't have to decide whether or not you fall to the left or to the right of this disputable issue. But the way that you deal with your brother and sister, that matters. And it matters a lot because what's on the line is the glory. It says that we would glorify God in this. It's not a little thing. It's not a little thing at all. And so as we turn to like, okay, so what are we going to do about this? Like, we, I, you've convinced me it's a big deal. Like, okay, fine. <laughs> you win. It's a big deal. What are we going to do about it? Like, if we're going to move from going past just refusal to do harm and really leaning in, I think it's going to be keyed in on this word accept. Look in verse 7. It says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Accept one another. Now, if we kind of go back to this story that I kind of conjured up at the beginning about like siblings, right, and being annoyed, um, another word that came out a lot was tolerance as I was growing up. Like tolerance. You need to tolerate your brother. I had two younger brothers and a younger sister, so there was a lot of tolerating happening. Like you need to, but here's the thing. Tolerate has that view of refusing to do harm. You tolerate, you put up with. I'm going to refuse to do harm. This word accept in verse 7 is not that word. Accept does not mean, you know what? It's fine. I'm not going to nail you to the wall for that issue. I'll give it up. It's fine. It's not that word. This word accept is a familiar, familial, okay, I can't say it. (laughs) It's a family word. I can't say familial. There we go. Got it. It's a family word. This is not an acceptance that we think of as kind of like an arm's length out here acceptance. It's not like, well, I accept your idea. It's like a bringing in. It's an intimate welcoming word. Accepting is welcoming into your home, welcoming into your family, taking off the mask, laying down the guard and saying, all right, you're in. You're in. Even if you disagree about this disputable issue. It's a saying, you know what? I disagree. We see it very differently and that is not going to divide us. This word accept, this is the linchpin to living it out. Accepting doesn't mean you agree. It just fascinates me that in this issue, I mean, Paul kind of tips his hat to the direction that he thinks the body should be more like. I mean, he says, all food is clean. He kind of leans the direction of like, yeah, it's probably best that we don't get stuck on these issues. He's probably more in the strong camp. But here's the thing. He doesn't set out to convince one group or the other, nor does he say you should have a roundtable meeting and just hash it out. Everybody's cards on the table. And at the end of the meeting, we're going to walk away and all agree. He actually doesn't encourage that at all. He just says accept each other. Now, this word accept does not mean we pass over doctrinal issues that would create um, and like a schism within the community. He, he doesn't say, you know, accept wrong teaching. It's fine. No, for people who have wrong teaching, he calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. He's got very strong words. Jesus had very strong words for people who would divide the church with wrong teaching. This is not that accept. This is not like, well, I don't really care what you believe about core issues like the deity of Jesus. Like, that's an issue. This is accepting of non-issues. 
But here's the thing. Sometimes we get more worked up about the non-issues than the real issues. We get so worked up about the little periphery things, and that's what divides us. And he says, look, it has no space for division. There's no space for it. And I think part of why this becomes so hard for us as a 2018 church is we live in such an individualistic culture. Like the you do you, that has no place here. It doesn't. You, there is no place. I mean, the church is so countercultural. Like, we, we're starting to kind of move this direction in the church where we're just kind of like individualistic when we come. We kind of come and just are kind of segmented off and then we leave and we're kind of like consumers. Like, we're just going to come and just take and I'll take wherever it's the best. And like, we're, 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 we're kind of going that direction where we don't see each other as fellow soldiers. We don't see each other. Here's the thing. I, 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 again, I didn't serve, so I'm kind of on the outside looking in, but like one of my favorite series is Band of Brothers. Like they didn't care who you voted for in the last presidential election. It's like, do you have my back? I don't care about what your view is of alcohol. Do you have my back? I need you. I need you. Not as an issue of I want it or you would be my best friend even if we weren't of the same belief about Jesus. It's like, you know what? We might not even be friends at all. <laughs> but right now, in this context, you are my lifeblood. Like, you will be my life and I will be your life. Like, there was something that bonded them together that we don't have. As an American church, like, we think, well, I guess I can find a church that kind of matches with my preferences and when it doesn't match, I'm gone. It's like, we need each other. Like, when you look around the room and you saw somebody where you're like, oh my gosh, your faith and your flourishing is directly connected to my faith and flourishing. Because if it didn't, if you didn't have that thought, you're not seeing correctly. You're not seeing correctly. Your body is a unit. I run a lot and I'm struggling with some foot issues. <laughs> I'm hoping to avoid surgery my foot hurts, it affects my whole body. Like, I can't, I can only wear these shoes and my slippers because <laughs> my feet hurt. And it's just a foot. It's actually pretty ugly when you take off my shoes, mostly because I've been a runner and a tennis player my whole life, and so my feet are, like, gnarly. That's an ugly part of my body. And when it hurts, I hurt. The whole thing. The whole thing. When you look around the room and you catch somebody's eye, it has to drive an ache into you that their faith and flourishing is directly related to your faith and flourishing because they are not in a separate body. You can't partition yourself out of that. There is no partition. God didn't design it that way. And when it comes to disputable issues, we have to move past refusing to hurt each other and we have to move into verse 7 where we are accepting. Like, take off the guardrails that say, you know what? That issue just makes my hackles go up. Like, that issue, it makes my blood pressure rise. I see white around the edges. I can't even think. Here, here's the thing. If that is dividing you, there is a glitch somewhere in your heart. Because the main thing is not the main thing. And we would have to go back to Romans 12. And I really enjoyed the weeks that you spent on Romans 12. I went back and listened to your series before this week. And it's just so important. Like verse 12 says, in view of God's mercy. Like if, if, if there's a glitch, like if there is a subject that you just can't even approach another believer and have a conversation about, you have not drilled into the mercy that God has lavished on you. You haven't. And I know that because in 12 verse 1, he says, in view of God's mercy, be a, loving, or be a living sacrifice. When you drill into the mercy that God has lavished on you, it allows you then to lay all of that down. And he says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. And we all really want Jesus to accept us because we all really know how dirty we were. We have a fundamental understanding of how unworthy we were at salvation. That's part of what makes salvation salvation, right? You can't really approach Jesus for salvation unless you recognize your depravity. So you have an awareness of that. We all really want that salvation. That is the same 
level of acceptance that Paul is asking you to extend to other people. See, Jesus didn't ask you to clean up your act. He didn't say, you know what? All this garbage, get rid of it before you approach me. He said, come now. Come right this second. Turn away from it and, and, and come now. And then in that changed life, turn away from all that. That's the same way we approach other believers with a catch. Because we don't get the authority of Jesus to then ask our fellow brothers and sisters to change on these disputable issues. We just move unconditionally. God, as our creator and father and Lord of our salvation, we move towards him and he changes us. We welcome believers with open arms, period. And God does the changing. Now, again, these are not issues of salvation. Paul is very clear. Like, I know I've gone back to Galatians a whole bunch of times, but I'll go back again. Like, Paul says in Galatians that if you see a brother in sin, call him out, right? Because their faith and flourishing is connected to your faith and flourishing, you're a body. That's not this. These aren't issues of sin. These aren't issues of righteousness and unrighteousness. These aren't issues of the narrow road and the wide road. These are disputable issues that don't have a basis for division. So no, you're not calling your brother and sister out on their political affiliations, period. So that is not an issue of salvation or on the issues of alcohol or this coming discussion about marijuana. I mean, just, we are not going to call each other out because this body lives and dies together. Well, spoiler alert, we live, right? But like, the, like we're not going to die together. Like, I mean, Jesus is coming back. He's going to win. But like the flourishing or the shriveling of this local body is about accepting each other with open hands, open arms, guards down, not asking others to change, but instead changing for their well-being. Laying that down, he says to the, to the strong, look, you're going to have to sacrifice like Jesus sacrificed. And, and like I said at the beginning, we're not going to dig into this, but like the whole kind of back half of this chapter of kind of referencing the Jews and the Gentiles, what did it take for Jesus to reconcile the Jews and the Gentiles? What did it take? It took his very life. It took his life. And, and Paul says, that's your model. What's our model? A dude who dies. Dying. And sometimes this feels like dying. Sacrifice, it rarely feels good, even if you know it's for good. It rarely feels good because sacrificing is necessarily death to what you want. For the strong, this is a matter of preference and pleasure and what's permissible. And not going there is hard, especially when you want it. And so it necessarily feels like death. But it's worth it. Um, I set a timer. I'm a school teacher. And so, like, just go. Like, I just go for days. Uh, I set a timer. And my timer is telling me that we need to um, uh, get close to wrapping up. And so I just want to close with this. Um, when we look at verse 13, first, verse 13 is another one of those um, kind of interludes where he's going to break with the topic, but not really. And he's going he's, he's gonna to share with us kind of a vision for what this could look like and a hope that we would go there. So verse 13, it's like all of a sudden it's like, why is, why is 13 so general? Like he's been talking about the weak and the strong, and then he has all these Old Testament references. And then all of a sudden he's just like, bam, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like, where'd that come from? Like that was just like a hard left turn. It's not really a hard left turn. Because when we have that Romans 12 mindset, of being changed by the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we see others with that mindset and we start accepting, this is what's going to happen. We are going to be so filled with hope and we are going to be so filled with peace because you have this confidence, assurance, or confidence and assurance that lays a foundation that these disputable issues don't get your feathers all ruffled. And then what happens is there is an overflowing. Isn't it overflowing? I love overflowing stuff. 
There's just too much of it to fill. It's just, it can't contain it. What if in this space we were so sure of the hope and the peace and the mercy and grace we've been given that we could then just overflow with that for our brothers and sisters and move past those things that would divide? What would happen? This, like God's glory, the flourishing of our brothers and sisters. It's a, it's a moving past of just tolerating. I don't think my parents got a whole lot of enjoyment out of us tolerating each other. I'm sure they were glad that we didn't. I mean, there were some holes in drywall, like, growing up. <laughs> mostly those were my doing as the oldest kid. That was mostly my fault. Um, I, I, I don't think they got a whole lot of satisfaction out of us tolerating each other. But I know that when they were really, really pleased is when, as a, as a sibling group, as brothers and sisters, we were moving past the tolerating to say, yeah, l- let me let you in. Yeah, you know what? That's super annoying to me, and I don't even really care. Like, I love you. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm still annoyed. In fact, I'm a little annoyed right now. But, like, I love you. And it's okay. We don't, we don't have to settle that issue. We're in. We're a family. And there's that acceptance And here's the thing. God sees that immediately and is glorified, even if nobody else does. But not only that, the way God has designed our body is that creates a growth and a flourishing that then brings him even more glory as the body grows and is healthy. That's my hope for us. That's Paul's hope for the church in Rome. Um, And I believe that that's, that's God's hope for the church, capital C. And so let's pray right now and just ask that God would accomplish that work in us personally here in Waverly at Riverwood Church and then in the church as a whole. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you have accepted us with open arms. I mean, where would we be, Father, if you didn't accept us with open arms? We would be dead in our transgressions and sins, separated from you for eternity. And yet you have welcomed us through your son, Jesus. And now you ask us to welcome our brothers and sisters as well. And Father, I pray that you would do just a powerful scouring work in our own hearts, because this is not easy. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, as Paul says in verse 13, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be able to move out filled with hope and peace for the flourishing of our body, your body, and ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.